Welcome to Road Noise. Buckle up as we explore God's faithfulness, reflecting on 50 years of full-time ministry. We're taking lessons from the unique life and ministry of Sheldon and Victoria Rhodes as they share the gospel crisscrossing North America. I'm your host, Kedron Rhodes, and each episode, I sit down with my dad, Sheldon, and we travel back in time, retracing the lessons God was teaching and mapping them to life today. This scenery may have changed, but God's faithfulness remains the same. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Road Noise. Well, hey, welcome back. If Thank you. you. Were, uh, yeah, yeah, of course to you and... <laughs> All of those that are along for the ride, <clears throat> and uh, yeah. So if if you have if you're if you're catching up to where we're at, we, you'll know that uh, we left off in Alaska. We're looking at the first first season really of um, full time ministry as Sheldon and Vicky kind of hit the road with their first group of teenagers. And in that conversation, of course, we we circled around some tough conversations of what it means to be a leader and stick to stick to. Um, God's word and to his, um, the, the kind of, the kind of leadership that he's calling from those that are willing to follow him. So that kind of leaves where we're jumping in today. Can I jump in back in to Alaska where we made it into, we made it into Anchorage? Yeah, we made it yes. into Anchorage. Yeah, we did make it into Anchorage and, yep. um, did, uh, I believe it was our, our first meeting up there was right there in Anchorage, uh, did, uh, vacation Bible school for the church that I was part of when I was in the Air Force up there. That's great. You're able to use those same connections uh, from being stationed in the Air Force, even though that wasn't a time in your life where you felt like you were uh, able to pursue ministry the way you originally wanted to. But here we are a few years later, connecting some dots. That's and pretty cool. While I was in the service up there, I had met a lot of the pastors and missionaries uh, throughout the state. And so when it came time to put a tour together and go up there, I had lots of contacts. So um, we were able to spend the entire summer up there for the most part. Yeah. All started right there in the church that I had been a part of uh, while I was in the Air Force. Yep. So if you if you aren't familiar with where where that context is coming from, check out the first season. And that's where Dad kind of walks us through the road to ministry, if you will, and all the journeys along the way. And you'll you'll realize, well, you'll, you'll come across an episode there that talks about his time in Alaska, which is kind of bringing full circle. But maybe before we jump into kind of the ministry work that you're going to, you know, do in Alaska over this first summer with this first group of teens, um, just give me a quick sense of like, you just mentioned that you made connections with churches and ministers while you were there. What does the missionary scene look like in Alaska? Because I know it to be very different than it is down here in the lower 48. So, but I'm guessing that most people don't know what that scene looked like then, or maybe <laughs> it's changed since then, but it definitely was a different time up there. It was a different time. And uh, uh, if you really want to know the answer to that, I'll certainly tell you. But uh, yeah, um, back at that time, I mean, if you look back technology wise, there wasn't any um, cell phones. And yes, there were telephones, but the telephone service wasn't anything like it is today. Uh, when you made a call back to the lower 48, you know, <laughs> uh, it really indeed was a long distance call. And when you made that call, you would say something and then there would be a pause for the sound to actually get to the person that you're talking to. And then they would say something and there would be a long pause. 
and then you would eventually hear them. And so it wasn't like just talking on the phone today where everybody's hearing each other instantly. I think, yeah. uh, you know, part of the technology issues, you know, back then um, pretty much made Alaska almost an isolated part of the, the world, part of the United States, at least. Um, the road wasn't good. I mean, it was a long gravel road full of lots of potholes. Uh, it would certainly take a toll on your vehicle. Headlights and windshields and radiators busted out from flying gravel. Anyway, so um, that just kind of puts into perspective, Alaska was kind of a, well, it's known as the last frontier, and that's kind of their, their nickname, and mm -hmm. it really was, and it was still frontier times. Um, they just had the big earthquake there in Alaska just a, a couple years before I got there, and so all that was... Uh, you know, Alaska had made the news, but uh, it was still kind of primitive in many areas. And because of that, uh, there were a good number of missionaries that uh, you know, left their comforts and all here in War uh, 48 and went up there to serve the Lord, uh, you know, either in big cities like Anchorage and Fairbanks or in the villages. And Lord bless those people. I mean, they were, for the most part, real servants of the Lord. And uh, I don't know if we've talked much about the Van Ravensways, uh, but yeah, I think we did in the first episode about how I met them and they were, they got up there the week before I did. Yep. But anyway, just great servants of the Lord. However, um, from the time I was there, things started to change and communications became better. And that caused a big change because there were some, a few missionaries that had gone up there and basically got involved in hunting and fishing and doing all the things that you wanted to do, but they had support from people back in the lower 48. And the people up there looked at the missionaries as kind of like, we are working hard trying to survive. And you're hunting and fishing and running around on snowmobiles and four-wheelers and private airplanes and everything else. And and so, to be perfectly honest, uh, by the time we were back up there um, that summer, um, missionaries were developing a kind of a bad name. Hmm. And they weren't... Uh, so isolated anymore because now phones were working better and communications other constantly improving the highway and so um people couldn't just go up there and hide anymore yeah yeah um yep. they had to be accountable which is a good thing yep absolutely so i mean that just that just kind of maybe highlights to where we're at even in 2022 as we kind of close out this year the internet has added a greatly great level of transparency to missions work across the globe where there's almost no part of the world where you can't get a message in and out of uh, with some form of technology these days. And I think with it comes a, a lot of transparency, which I think is healthy. And of course, we know the we know the flip side of that too, is that people can spin a story any way they like on social media and whatnot. But uh, it just, it strikes me as like a, a nice, nice moment in time to reflect on as the world initially embraced the implications of increased technology and how that is going to change the nature of ministry. So I would imagine that during that time where you're in the Air Force, you probably were attending missions conferences at the local church, or or at least there was missionaries coming out from the field into Anchorage on some regular basis for supplies or community or whatever. And that's how you probably built up your network of, of folks to, to come back to. Well, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because yes, uh, Every winter, there was a big missions conference, I guess you'd call it, where the missionaries that um, served in the villages would come into Anchorage and just have a huge, I mean, it was an amazing time. And, you know, they all get together and each one has their own stories about what's happening in their villages. And uh, when they would leave, they know that 
there's a good chance they're not going to see their fellow workers for another year. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they had people there in Anchorage that would pull supplies for them and put them on planes, put them on just small planes and fly it out to the villages and so forth. But uh, the missionaries were pretty much out there and they didn't get in. But this once a year when they would all get together and have this big musical, uh, a lot of uh, Native people would uh, be there and do music and so forth. Eskimo and Aleut uh, languages. Yeah, fun time. But uh, yeah, so that's how I, I got to meet a lot of the missionaries and pastors uh, throughout the state because they would come to Anchorage for, for all, all kinds of things, but uh, especially uh, once a year. And then the church that I was at in the Air Force, if there was a missionary that was going to be in town, our pastor always would invite them and have them be a part of the service and give an update as to what's going on and so forth. So I did make a lot of contacts that proved very helpful over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that, that leads us to why you're even in Alaska, this first missions trip. So let's jump in. Let's jump in. All right. So we uh, did the vacation Bible school there at the church that, uh, that I had attended and had a great time. And during that time uh, that I would, was out of the Air Force till the time I'm back, uh, child evangelism, yeah, child evangelism fellowship, yeah, I'll say it eventually. Uh, had moved their office into the back part of that church, and I guess they're probably renting you know, a couple of rooms back there and so forth. Anyway, so uh, now I'm working in the same building, basically side by side with the child evangelism missionary in the area, and so they're saying, "Oh, yeah, can you uh, help us? Can if we get some of our uh, what do they call them, the uh, five day club uh, workers mm -hmm. together?" Uh, could you teach us some things about puppets and so forth? And so the next thing you know, we're doing our first puppet seminars. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're pretty green ourselves, but uh, uh, we were doing something that they hadn't seen before, at least sure. on the scale, even though it was a relatively small stage that we had and everything. But uh, anyway, so we get to do some training. You know, it's one thing uh, to be out there sharing the gospel by yourself, but when you can train someone else, now it's not like you can only be in one place at a time. If you train yeah. six people, now you can be in seven places at a time. Yeah. You know, if those six are all out there doing the same type of thing, anyway, so yeah. the multiplication is really cool when it comes to reaching people for the Lord. But um, the pastor that had been there when I was in the Air Force had taken a church out in the Valley area, uh, Bananuska Valley, Palmer, Wasilla area, and his brother had been a missionary up there and had started a church that was meeting on the old Palmer, Wasilla Highway. And then, uh, I don't know if we talked about it in the first session or not, but uh, that brother was killed in an accident, a uh, boating accident with... Uh, four or five other men from his church. No, we did not cover that. We didn't talk about that? Well, no. Was that while you were in the military? Yes. All right. So is this a good time to talk about that or uh, or not? It's kind of an interesting... I think we should. All right. Let, let's detour from the direction we're going. We'll pick that up um, in the next session, maybe. But uh, yeah, let me tell you about that. Uh, Lynn Wyckoff was the pastor in Anchorage. His brother, Harry Wyckoff, was a missionary pastor out in the valley. And I mean, these two brothers... <laughs> loved each other. They worked with each other and you know, would fill pulpit for each other. I mean, it was, so while I was in the Air Force, um, I got to meet Harry on on several occasions, you know, as he would be in Anchorage and would preach at our church. Well, uh, oh my, what year would that have been? Well, I guess it doesn't matter. But anyway, um, we're coming up for the time for the Alaska State Fair. Alaska State Fair is always held in Palmer, Alaska. And Harry Wyckoff, Wyckoff uh, had asked Lynn, can we uh, do some outreach ministry there at the uh, at the state fair? And so our church kind of partnered with their church to staff and do some outreach you know, there at the state fair. And we had a a big circus tent type thing 
I have no idea where they got it. Probably rented it someplace there in Anchorage. But anyway, had a had a big tent and chairs and everything. And what I didn't know prior to this was that uh, Harry Wyckoff did gospel magic. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> now you, you got my attention. <laughs> and I had been doing magic from the time I was in high school, but I had never seen magic used to share the gospel. Hmm. And now... Here we are partnering with their church. And so it's like, okay, you know, I'm here. What do you want me to do? And I've kind of got a big mouth and I'm not afraid to to open it. And so they said, oh, can you uh, stand outside the tent and encourage people to come in? And so I'm kind of like the barker. Hey, uh, come on in, see the magic mm -hmm. show. Uh, it's free. And filling up the seats. And I mean, I'm kind of anxious to see what it is that's going to happen because I've never seen that myself. Anyway, so uh, several times over a weekend, you know, especially on a Saturday, we're doing lots of shows, you know, one right after the other, you know, maybe uh, an hour apart or something. But anyway, so everyone else is sitting down, but I'm standing kind of right inside the the tent there uh, when things start and I get to see magic being used to share the gospel hmm. and my oh my am I ever impressed because this was a tool that I was already interested in but had never seen it used other than for entertainment purposes yeah and so um, uh, I got to spend a lot of time with this man um, basically that weekend and uh, shared with him that yeah I, I do some magic too and I wanted to learn the gospel magic mm -hmm. now this was uh, must have been in August and he says, well, Shelney says, um, can we wait until after uh, September? Because he says, I really need to get a moose to feed my family. And September's moose season. And so um, after that, let's plan on getting together and, and I'll teach you gospel, man. You can share with me the things that you know. And so uh, magicians trade secrets. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't figure I really had many secrets that I could share with him. I figured he probably already knew everything that I did. But in either case, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, uh, as it ended up, that man, his son, his son-in-law, and must have been two other guys from the church. It's either five of them total or, or five plus himself made six, but I believe it was five. Anyway, they all left to go on a moose hunting trip down in the Kenai area, and they had crossed Skelac Lake and gone to the other side. Well, you can drive to Skelac Lake, but you can't drive to the other side. At least you couldn't back then. I don't know if things have changed. And so if you can drive someplace, your chances of getting a moose aren't that good because everybody else is driving there and moose have been hunted off. Well, on the other side of the lake, nobody had hunt, hunts there because you can't get to it unless you go across by boat. And these guys had, and... On a Saturday, Saturday evening, they knew that they had to get back across the lake because there were services Sunday morning and Harry needed to preach. Well, they didn't come back. And so uh, needless to say, everybody was concerned, all the, the families there from the church and all the, of these guys, mm -hmm. and uh, went looking for them, couldn't find them. Uh, so they call, back then it had been, I guess, the equivalent to 911 saying, hey, you know, these guys are missing. Mm -hmm. And so there was a big search that was put on. And... The search party um, that they had, right here, let me back up. Skelac Lake has 100 miles of shoreline. Mm -hmm. It is a huge lake. The Kenai River flows right through it. Uh, the water that comes through there uh, comes from the glaciers. Yep. Okay, so this is very cold water. I mean, just a few miles up the, up the river, it was glacier. It was ice. Mm -hmm. And so the water is very cold and it's a very large lake. Well, I was I was on a team for the Air Force for search and rescue missions. All the missions that the Air Force uh, would send out had to have medical personnel on board of some kind. And because of my training and so forth, I was on one of those teams. So if there was um, a military plane that went down or something and the military gets involved, well, when they go out, they 
got to have medical staff. But the military, at least back then, would not get involved with a civilian missing person thing for two weeks. And if after two weeks they hadn't been found, then the military would get involved. So as soon as these guys went missing, uh, I know that I can't do anything. I can't be a part of looking for them um, for two weeks. But I um, called over to the uh, office on the other side of base that uh, kind of controlled all that on the military side. And I told him, I says, if there's these guys are not found in the next two weeks, and if the military is allowed to get involved, I want to be on the team. I mean, there was other guys besides myself, and you know, it was kind of like, huh. they go down the list calling. Okay, we need so many people on a team. Are you available? And uh, so I'm saying, yeah, if it gets to that point where the military is involved, make sure that I'm on the team. Well, sure enough, after the two weeks uh, were up, they had not been found. And so, yes, the military did get involved. And we found some stuff. We found their boat. Uh, we found like one oar. And that oar was all beat up right where um, it should have you know, connected to the boat. Near as we can tell, uh, they were back in a cove area. When they came out of that cove, there was a big storm that night and like six foot waves, heavy mm. winds. And they're just in a small motorboat with a had just a, an aluminum boat with a motor on the back. Well, um, it looked like perhaps uh, they were rowing like crazy and the oars were all beat up. But uh, no, man, we found a life jacket or two. We found a survival blanket, that type of thing. Uh, but we never found any of the guys. Hmm. I don't know if anything has ever changed, but at least back at that point, Ski Lack Lake had never given up a body. Oh, wow. If you got into that water, first thing is... Remember where the water came from? Mm -hmm. It came from glaciers. The water is not clear. It's full of silt because uh, it's been picking up dirt and rocks. You know, it's been a glacier. And so you have all this dirt that's suspended in the water. And if you end up in the water, that dirt ends up in your clothes and just adds that much more weight. Yeah. Yep. And it's so cold, right? It doesn't take long. I mean, you are not going to survive. So with all the weight... That's going to pull you down you know, from the dirt in the water and all the cold. And then you've got the, the river that's going through there. So there is a current. Well, uh, what typically happens is a person's body ends up going down to the bottom and gets lodged in the rocks and is held down there. And because it's so cold, the body doesn't deteriorate and form gases that causes the mm -hmm. body to float. Mm -hmm. And so Ski Lake Lake has never given up a body. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just a matter of time until... Everybody called the search off. It's pretty obvious what had happened. And you can keep searching forever, but you're not going to find anything. And so eventually the search was called off and my heart broke. Sure. I mean, here was another man of God that had started this church, had a good work going, loved the Lord. Uh, he was my key to gospel magic. Mm -hmm. And now I just lost that. Uh, his wife had just lost her husband, one of her sons and son-in-law. And what uh, nobody knew at that time, but the, the daughter was expecting their first child. Oh, wow. And so this man that... And one of these men that died had a baby coming and didn't even. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it was a, a huge tragedy. And so, um, like I said, with that, I lost I lost what was been my instructor for doing gospel. I remembered the effects that he did. I remembered the lessons that he used when he did them and how powerful and effective they were. I just didn't know how these tricks were done. Well, it wasn't uh, until I was in college and everybody's saying, hey, you know, magic capital of the world, Colon, Michigan. I ended up going uh, to Colon, and I think we did talk about that uh, in the first session. And while I was there, I described to the man behind the counter there um, these different tricks that I had seen this missionary in Alaska do while I was in the Air Force. That was a very seasoned professional ma magician and he knew exactly the tricks I was talking about and was able to fix me up with uh, books and so forth that uh, described those. They didn't have the gospel application, but I knew the gospel application. Sure. I just didn't know 
how the tricks were done, what it would take to do them. So uh, that seed had been planted. Planted uh, with magic while I was in high school. And now here I am uh, out of the Air Force and out of college. And yet uh, God brings magic back into my life. Uh, well, brought the, the gospel part back in while I was in the Air Force. But now here I am back in Alaska. And now I'm able to do gospel magic along with puppets. Yeah, that is yes. really incredible. It is. You know, when you look back, uh, God brings different people into your life, some people for a reason and some people just for a season. Uh, I had a very short season with this particular missionary, but yet there was a reason that yeah. he was involved in my life. What an incredible change that made in our ministry. So I'm yeah, looking forward to 50 years uh, into it. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to see him again and I'll be yeah. able to thank him for, <laughs> <laughs> for what he did at that uh, Alaska State Fair so many years ago. Wow. I guess <clears throat> I guess I hadn't made the connection that that's where where gospel the gospel and magic collided for you i mean i, I knew that that magic was an interest from your childhood but i, I maybe hadn't known where that connection was made and i'm sure we'll, we will I, I know <laughs> some of the stories between here and there that we'll, we'll get around to <laughs> how they how they really begin to flourish um but uh yeah that's that's really incredible that that legacy from that individual's legacy carries on even today with uh sharing the good news of of jesus in a creative way that you adopted or that you, that you made use of yeah, that's really incredible i feel blessed yeah. there's there's uh i guess maybe before we wrap up there is there's one more thing that is jumping out to me at uh about this kind of season in alaska and your work there not only now but the <laughs> the many times that you've been there and of course living there and all of that um there's something about that being in the frontier that draws the mission-minded folks to it. And we think those far-off places, it's kind of like the where literature often romanticizes the, the missionary world of being that far-off exotic world where you're kind of disconnected from all of the familiar things in life. And Alaska was that for a long time, for a lot of folks. It was disconnected and it was, it was a ripe field, if you will. Um, and I think there's... Uh, the thing that I'm reminded there is that as the world becomes really small, it can be dangerous to think that you've got to go far away to find a mission field and that there's no more, there's, there's, there's no more work to be done on that front. There's like all the frontiers are explored. Um, so anyways, I think that's, that's what I'm just kind of reflecting on and in, in, in your, in, in your experience with Alaska in that moment in time. And I know you've got thoughts on, on that. So I'd love to, I'd love for you to like, give me a two minute thought on what does it mean to be a missionary in the United States, because I know that's that's something close to home to you. Well, I've always kind of felt that uh, somewhere on the other side of the world, there is somebody that is just praying that somebody would come and share the gospel with their relatives. They're praying that God would send a missionary to their country to speak to their family. Well, don't you suppose that maybe right here where we live, in my case, uh, Nashville, Michigan, that there might be somebody that lives in Nashville, Michigan, that is praying that God would send somebody to come and talk to their relatives, to their family, that God would send a missionary to Nashville, Michigan, because they have lost friends and relatives that they're concerned for. Well, guess what? If you're a believer, wherever you are at, there's a real good possibility that there's somebody that is praying that somebody like you would become friends and be able to share the gospel with their friend or their relative. There's lost people everywhere, and anybody can be a missionary. You don't have to go anywhere to find lost people. And that's really um, what I believe the job of a missionary is, to share the good news, to share the gospel. And so you don't have to go overseas. You don't have to learn a new language. Uh, now, for me, I'm thinking, okay, 
I want to serve the Lord. I really don't know any other languages, really don't want to learn any other languages. And 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 it's kind of like God saying, use the language that I've given you. Use your native tongue. You don't have to go far away to find English-speaking people. And so, um, yeah, we've always been missionaries to the United States. And uh, sometimes they kind of feel like real missionaries go overseas and they start churches. That's what a real missionary does. Hmm. Well, if that's the case, I guess I'm not one. Never gone overseas and never started a church. I've certainly shared the gospel with thousands of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know that... Um... It's easy to kind of latch onto that church planning model is, you know, Paul's a great example of that. We get through all throughout the New Testament. He, he travels the, around the Mediterranean area and plants church after church. Um, but I'm also reminded of uh, that first commission when Christ sent out their, the, his, his initial disciples and he just told them, go make disciples, gave them a mission. And then even, even like short term, they went and did their thing and they came back and reported back to him. Um, yeah. So I think there's, I think you're right on there's. You don't have to go far. You don't have to look hard to find someone who needs to hear the good news. And Jerusalem, that's the job. Jerusalem, Judea, and the other uttermost parts of the world. The Jerusalem is where you live, yep. okay? And that's uh, that's where you need to start. Maybe someday we'll God will call you to some foreign country, and you will have to learn a different language. <laughs> yeah. But he's not going to do that if you're not willing to share the gospel where you are right now. Yeah. Well, I know this this conversation wasn't where we intended it when we first started out, but I, I, I love this journey that we've been on. and. And hearing some of these uh, stories and how um, God brings people into your life for a reason and sometimes just for a season and, and the lasting impact that those relationships can have. And in that case of this gentleman that was missionary pastor who's being obedient with his gifts and using them at a safe fair. And you happen to be there at, the, at that time and for that reason and yeah. tragedy, tragic story, but still there's uh you can see how uh, that God has a way of getting his people where he wants them. Sure does. If they're willing to be obedient. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, I guess we'll see you down the road. Yeah, this is Grandpa Wisely. You don't judge folks by their relatives.